0: From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us screaming shout. I love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us the goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're well, Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics!
1: Hello, Ward. Hello, Eric. You know what, Ward? what? we've got a lot to talk about we do but we always do we do but it's Thanksgiving week.
0: It is a time for us to reflect and
1: just talk about what we're thankful for and and truthfully as Indiana fans, there's a lot to be thankful for there really and I think is. we should spend some time in this episode going through the things that we are thankful for but before we get too far into that, I think we should talk a little bit about the people that we are thankful for. People are always the
0: first thing I think about when I think about where the gratitude is coming from in
1: my life. It's all about the people. And the truth is, we have been very fortunate on this podcast to meet, I mean, just some of the best people that you and I have ever had the pleasure of meeting. They say, okay. don't meet your heroes, <laughs> but we've
0: we've met almost all of them. They've never let us down and beyond that. Uh, Just everybody surrounding everything we've gotten to do with this. It's just a whole heap of
1: great people I'm grateful for. The the people who say don't meet your heroes, there's a dot, dot, dot at the end of that. And then what finishes it is unless you're an Indiana University basketball fan. Correct. It says, but definitely
0: don't if you're a Purdue or Kentucky fan. What heroes do you have? A bunch of assholes.
1: Just a bunch of D-bag (laughs) a-holes. So, I'd like to kick this off with someone you and I are both thankful for. Someone we've had the pleasure of meeting via the podcast, meeting in person, becoming, dare I say, friends with? Yeah, I mean, and we, we throw that
0: term around real loosely on this show, but I, bet, loosely. I bet not on the show. I bet if we ask him on the show, he will definitely say we are not actual friends, but I think if you caught him off air, he might say that we are. I think it's
1: worth asking him. So okay, let's see if we can get this gentleman on the phone.
0: Here comes
1: a guest, here comes a guest. There he is! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, one of the hottest assistant coaches in the game. And
0: we're just talking about his looks, never mind his resume.
1: He's still trying to figure out how to hear us right now. I think. Let's keep going. We okay. can't hear you, you're
0: muted. You're muted, you're sir. Mute. How do, how does, it, does this work? Now it is.
1: Work. Now it's working. That Ladies is a- and gentlemen, please welcome one of the greatest IU point guards to ever play. One of the hottest assistant coaches in the game. Assistant coach for, I mean, I'll just say it, the best team in the country right now. He doesn't
0: coach for Gonzaga. Ooh,
2: ooh. <laughs> uh, hey, nothing screams Vegas than uh, my background.
1: Uh, <laughs> nothing like uh, that ladies and gentlemen please welcome our friend michael lewis
2: i I make sure this is pg-13
0: well it's definitely not pg (laughs) michael we are uh this is the thanksgiving episode we're talking about everything we're thankful for we're very thankful for you you being in our lives you being a great indiana point guard Are you thankful for us waking you up from a nap right now to do this? No, honestly.
2: I mean, our our friendship has been based on honesty, so no. (laughs) Wait, but you did say our friendship. I I, I don't know many people in L.A., so you two clowns have kind (laughs) of, they're kind of my go-tos. But- I mean, there's nothing better than a good game day nap. Whether you're a player or coach, you, you get, and it's not long, but it's a power nap and there's nothing better. And um, unfortunately, I, I uh, forgot to turn the ringer off. So
1: so how long into your uh, power nap game day did you get?
2: Uh, that first step of REM sleep, that really deep, good, good part, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, you you, kind of, you're still thinking about the game and what's coming up and what do you got to do? And then you're out. uh, And then I got the phone call.
0: So that's rough. That's
1: rough. That's
2: typical timing of you guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just always wrong. Always wrong. All right. Let's get into some serious stuff. Look, man, you and I've talked about this uh, a little off air, but you have been a fan of college basketball your entire life. You're our age. So it's the better part of four and a half decades now. And you've been involved in college basketball since, you know, what, what What were you first recruited when you were 16 years old, probably? You know, somewhere around there? Give or take, yeah. Yeah. So you've been in the game one way or the other either, either as a, a recruit, a player, and then a coach for the better part of 30 years. And you are now the assistant coach for a team that is ranked number two in the country, undefeated, huge win last week against Villanova. Uh, a final four run last year expectations are through the roof but just as a fan of college basketball have you been able to separate yourself from the responsibilities of coach to take a step back and just say it's pretty cool being on this ride right now
2: uh yes and no because you know like you guys and and friends of mine you know they, they constantly remind you like you know hey you' you get a you know, you're the coach of the number two team in the country. You get a chance to play in a number one versus number two game. Um, you know, that's, those experiences are really, really good. And the no part is we have a team that, uh, although um, we have everybody back from last year's final four team, we, you know, we, Cody Riley's not playing right now due to injury. We have two newcomers that we're trying to, to fit into the mix and we're not, we're not the same team that we were uh, last March. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know the the progress of our team is going to be dependent on how well we defend throughout the season, and we're not defending right now at the level that we were at last year's NCAA tournament. Um, and we got to get there. That you know we do have a team that can score the ball um, pretty easily, but we're not going to be the a team that can beat real teams and be involved in in uh, the games that we want to be involved with um, unless we continue to pro- progress throughout the season. So. Um, You know, I'd I'd much rather be number one at the end of the year uh, Mm -hmm. than number one, number two right now. Um, But that's that's the enjoyment of of coaching and being a part of a team is when you get to go through a season. Um, You know, I don't think fans realize how long a season is, like they because they're riding the roller coaster, right? They're on the the ups and downs of wins and losses. And um, from a coach's perspective, with the team that we have, we just want to be on the on the steady climb. Um, And I think we learned a lot about ourselves in the Villanova game. you know, we we didn't. Uh, it was a it was a good win, a great atmosphere, um, but we we can play a lot better, and that's that's the good thing. Um, you know, you don't want to peak in on November twelfth, but that was a pretty high level game in in early November, um, but it's nowhere near we where we want to be. I think we're going to learn a lot about ourselves this week. You know, we got Bellarmine tonight, uh, Gonzaga tomorrow, uh, and then we finish uh, on Saturday with a road game at at UNLV. So, um, this is a big week for us. Um, I I think one that we can grow. Uh, We learned a lot about ourselves in the Long Beach State game coming up after Villanova. We did not play well. Um, You know, came out, came, uh, you know, we played on Monday after Villanova game on Friday and and we did not compete at the level that we, we need to compete at. So we, we have a lot of growth to do as a team. The good thing is, I think what we've seen on film is, is the mistakes that we're making are correctable and and there can be growth. And so uh, it should be an exciting season. I say it all the time. Like I think when, college football is better when Notre Dame's is relevant. I think college basketball is better when UCLA is relevant. And, and uh, we've put ourselves in, in the conversation, but that doesn't, uh, doesn't get you any wins, unfortunately.
0: I will say this on behalf of all Indiana fans, going through last season, we realized just how long a basketball season can be okay okay now we know and this is why we're able to be friends with you despite you wearing that ucla shirt right now is that you still have a soft spot in your heart for your alma mater have you had five seconds to take a look at the team coming out of bloomington this year do you have any views on what is happening in this new era
2: i've only got the chance to see um probably three quarters of the first game um we we played um i believe the same night they played you know obviously the time changed way before us um and I, so i saw the the like three quarters of that game uh, in our conference room before we played um you know and being the first game i don't think it's fair to judge i think um you know i think that team you know also can grow i think obviously they have like if you just follow their scores and. Um, you know the win against St. John's. I think at home is something that you can build off of. Um, you know they obviously they played um, some other teams where um, there's been notable progress. If just looking at the stat sheet, like I like I said, I haven't been able to put my eyes on it. But um, you, you know they're they're getting coached um, by a guy that that really understands basketball, um, that has a great great sense of pride in in the university because he's you know like I said last last uh, spring. You know, there, there's when you when you've put yourself in that arena, when you've worn that uniform, um, when you've taken that floor, uh, you you have a different uh, level of appreciation for what that program stands for. And I think uh, Woody has that. Uh, I think, he, you know, he's he's brought a different energy to the team. I think he's brought a different level of accountability to the team. Um, and I'm excited to watch those guys grow, you know, from from afar. And I think. um you know, I, don't, I don't know their schedule great off the top. I, well, I think they got the ACC Challenge, I think Syracuse. I think that's going to be a, um, a test where you can watch them go on the road um, and kind of see where they're at. Uh, I think um, the Notre Dame game and the Crossroads Classic uh, on a neutral site there, even though it's, a um, as we know, Indianapolis is a home game for yeah. Indians. But, you know, I think those, those two games along with um, the St. John's game are a good test. Uh, for where this team, you know, may be able to be and compete uh, when they get into the the Big Ten season.
1: So you, uh, this is now your third season at UCLA. And when you took the job at UCLA, UCLA was coming off, you know, not a totally dissimilar uh, situation that that Mike Woodson was coming into taking over for Archie's team in that it was an underperforming program wasn't meeting expectations you guys came in and in your first season turned things around pretty dramatically Mm. uh you know and then obviously your first season did get cut short so there was no ncaa tournament that year second season was magical and now you you are you know near the top of the polls how different is the challenge uh of coaching a team with those expectations to start the year than you know kind of what you've been used to most of your career which is a team that you hope grows and, and finds the best version of themselves as opposed to a team who you already know what the best version is, which is a Final Four team and a national championship contender. What are the differences in that challenge?
2: Well, that was the best version of last year's team. You know, I think right. even though even though it's the same personnel, you, you know, you your your individuals grow in the offseason, your team grow during the season. Um, and I think we had some good individual growth in the offseason. I think some guys put in some time. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of, of, uh, being in a team sport and playing a, playing a season is, is that unknown, you know, what, what is our ceiling? You know, I, I would, I would think if you look at, <clears throat> you know, it reminds me of the story that coach Knight used to, uh, tell when he told the 76 team, you know, there's, you know, he looked at the schedule and, and he told that group of players, like, you know, there, you shouldn't lose a game, you know, and, and I think that's much more difficult, um, in these times, because I think there's more parody in college basketball than there was in '76. Um, I, I wasn't even born in '76, um, but um, you know, when you look at our schedule, and, and I know who we play. I mean, Villanova, Gonzaga, North Carolina, um, you know. But I, I don't look at our schedule and think that there's a game that we can't win, you know. And, and so that's that's an exciting thing. Now, are you going to stub your foot? You know, you hope not, but reality is probably okay. So, but how can you are you know, our, our focus each time is like we were disappointed in what we did against Long Beach State, okay? But how well can we play uh, on November, you know, 22nd or whatever the date is? Like, how good can we play December 18th? And we want to make sure there's progression each time that we go out. And you know, the, the thing about with us is we've talked to our guys, like our, our opponent every night um is ourselves we're playing against ourselves okay because we have a a a standard of play that which we want to we want to play to so we're we're playing against ourselves every night now the team in the other uniform that provides a different challenge every night because of, of how they play their talent level things that they do offensively and defensively that may challenge us in different ways but our true opponent every night is ourselves and and how well can we play to to our standard of play and i think if we just keep Focused on that, I think we can grow as a team. We can clean up some areas that we need to clean up. But um, you know, it being uh, this is different. You know, I've I've never I've never been on a on a team that um, you know has this type of expectation placed on them, both as a player and, and now as a coach. So it is a, it it is it is exciting, but yet it it also presents different challenges, which I think as a coach is great because it's something you can grow from and learn from. Uh, hopefully in the future. I hope this is not the last time that I'm on a team um, that has this type of expectations placed on them in the preseason. Now, I know
0: uh, you want to win every game. You want to play as well as you possibly can every game. But I'm wondering earlier in the season, whether it's a Long Beach State or Gonzaga, you've got some new pieces. You're missing a piece or two. How much are you and, you know, Coach Coach Mick willing to experiment now Maybe take some risks with your rotation or your lineups or even some of the schemes now and say, oh, maybe we're not going to play quite as good because we're trying to figure out who this team is and and maybe sacrifice some of a game or part of a game being the best you can possibly be because you think it's going to pay off later. Is that part of the thinking at all?
2: I, I think you try to coach each game to win. You know, I think you, you, you coach each game to win. You prepare each game to win. Like we prepare – um every day in practice to play against our best opponent you know like we're not preparing to play against um, team x like we're preparing to play against the best team on our schedule um you know who is that right now on paper it's Gonzaga you know like who is that at the end of the year you know nobody knows yet nobody can say that but um that's how we have to prepare you know every day is you prepare to win like you know we played uh Villanova and And, you know, that was a high level game. And, you know, we have, you know, Peyton Watson, who has a lot of, uh, a lot of hype. He's McDonald's all American he's projected as a lottery pick in this year's NBA draft. Um, And he didn't play a lot of minutes as it, it was a different level. It wouldn't have been fair to throw him out there Hmm. um, in that type of game, especially with you when you have a team like we have that has the experience that we have of playing in, in big time games. Um, Not that he doesn't have the ability to play in that game. um, But is he ready for that game on November twelfth? You know, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I we we didn't feel like um, that was the best situation for him. Now it's our job as coaches and his job as a player to make sure that he's ready. Um, January, February, March, hopefully April, April, to be a major part of our team in those type of situations. So, um, you know, you prepare to win every game, but you also you you have a growth mindset of where you want to become. At the end of the year, but uh, as far as I didn't like your word "sacrifice." We're not sacrificing uh, yeah. a game. Tell, tell a game. him, you that's don't like my, it. That's my alarm Is right there. there. See, that? Is that your wake-up alarm? That's my wake-up alarm. You know, I gotta <laughs> these pre-games. Like I, you know, the uh, the triple S's. I gotta get. I gotta get the triple S's here pre-game. What What are the triple S's? Sh- shower and shave, my man.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> cool. We now know about the game day ritual of the nap. I do know that when you were a coach um with Nebraska specifically, you had a post-game ritual, a little, a little something sweet you liked to uh go for. What 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 was that post-game ritual? And are you still trying to live by that?
2: That was a pregame at Butler. That was a pre-game ritual.
1: Oh, pre-game.
2: It was it was the um the night before. Um, the Big East, you you travel to some some real cities, you know, and and uh you know, you don't travel to West Lafayette, you know. You, <laughs> yes. travel, to, you travel to real cities in the big yes. east, you know, New York, you know, you know, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Yeah. So um we would always find a little uh, we call it a dessert club. And uh so after our team meeting at night, we would uh about nine, nine thirty, we'd go find a a nice little restaurant. And, uh, you know, we'd have a little, little cobbler and ice cream and seasonal, a seasonal cobbler, <laughs> seasonal cobbler. And, uh, you know, we'd ask him, yeah, yeah, warm it up. And, you know, it normally comes with a scoop of ice cream, but we'd have to, you know, just throw a little bonus scoop on there for us. And, and, uh, we'd get ready for, uh, for the game the next day.
0: Well, you're in a real city. Now you're in Vegas. Have you hit serendipity or any of the other
2: d- dessert spots there? No, we, we got in last night, um, had, a, got a, had a good meal in, in our meeting, and my, my family got in as well last night, and so trying to get them settled. I, uh, and as, as Eric knows, and, and you probably, Ward, I've been, uh, uh, Coach Cronin wanted to go back to suits this year, so I had to go on a little uh, weight loss program so I could so I could fit in the old suits. So, uh, But I'm proud to announce we're down 15. Uh, nice. can, I was gonna say the, the face. funny thing. The oh face. yeah, slim up. You know, wait till I shave; it'll really slim up. now yeah. the, the funny thing is, all the pants would button, so I must carry everything waist waist up. Now I had a there. The jacket was a you know a little I tighter mean. squeeze, you know. Yeah. But um, so far, every suit that I've thrown on, I've been able to to fit into. So we're sure. we're still working. We're trying to get back. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna attempt to go to plain weight. There's no way. Um, it would be it would even look different it, it, it wouldn't be good uh, but we we have some more work to do to get down to, to where it uh,
1: I would be comfortable. I, I do love the coach speak we've got a lot of more work to do <laughs> we've got some <laughs> talking
2: about you yeah, yeah no 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 it's a we thing it's a we <laughs> problem okay it's a group effort it's going to take a little bit of everybody to you know kind of keep this thing going
0: uh um, <laughs> Mike wait I've got another question. Sure, because we're talking about what we're but thankful. You're, you're, you're going to
2: rush my triple S now. You're gonna I, know. Rush. I get it.
0: I get no. it. We'll keep this short, but uh, and Eric won't love this. But are you as thankful as I am for how the Indianapolis Colts are playing right now? Because I know you're a fan. We've been to well, a game.
2: We, we again we we have some work to do. We do have some work to do.
3: Um,
2: <laughs> we dug ourselves quite a hole, but. We did. Um, you know, at, over the course of a season, we've seen some growth. We 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 figured a few things out, um, you know. But no, I, I'm excited. I kind of, I kind of poo pooed them early and was down on them, but um, they're bringing me back in. So there there's some excitement. So I think we can make a little playoff push. And then, you know, it's like the say tournament. All you got to do is get in. Once you get in, you can you can control it from there. So
1: we'll let you get to your three S's. But I do want to ask this. You you talked about how. Um... You know, college basketball is better when UCLA is relevant, which I totally agree with. It's also better when Indiana is relevant. I and I think, you know, you you see that in television ratings and things like that. Indiana's got a big alumni base that care about the program. They buy tickets. They travel. Uh, the schedule for Indiana is, is something that's gotten a lot of attention this year. It, it's you were kind going through the games that we have, but it's an easier schedule on purpose designed for a first year coach. But Indiana, and by all accounts, from Woody and Scott Dolson, everybody's talked about, we want to play marquee games going forward. And we want to get those on the schedule. The, the Crossroads Classic is ending. We've got a uh, an agent, a, a secret agent named Michael Lewis at another Blue Blood program. Is there any chance that a UCLA-Indiana series could happen in the future?
2: Uh, I mean, I don't think there's um, any reason why it couldn't. You know, I know, um, you know, I, scheduling is much more difficult than what fans, Sure. you know, see, it's not like, by the way, know, when you say like,
1: fans, just say you, I know what you're saying. You're just saying, listen, idiots. There's a lot of <laughs> shit Regular. you don't understand as Regular. morons. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> like just, these people, that's what you're people, saying.
2: No, people think it's like, you know, Mick calling up Woody and be like, Hey, let's play. All right, great. And we just, you know, no, I mean, there's, there's dates, there's facilities, there's TV there. I mean, there's a lot of different things that come into play especially earlier in the season you're you're uh, scheduling against um, like like we played Villanova on a Friday night because we had a Saturday football game right now that's not something Villanova has to worry about we're 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 returning the game to Villanova but not next year like normal home and home series would be we're skipping a year because Villanova wants to play us um, in their in their downtown arena where the Sixers play, so they can sell more tickets instead of being on campus. There's just a lot of different, Fair uh, a lot of different moving parts that that go into other than just picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, let's let's hoop." So, um, you know, I, I think obviously we're open to, to playing um, a lot of different teams. Uh, I think we're in discussions with a lot of different teams. Um, a lot of times, Midwest teams don't want to come out west. You know, they don't they don't want to tr- you know make the the change in the time zones, um, and I think that's something that hurts the Pac-12. Now that I'm in the Pac-12, and I get it. Like when I when I was living in the Midwest, growing up in the Midwest, like I wasn't staying up till 11 o'clock to watch the Pac-12. You know, I'm not doing that. But um, there's a lot of different things that go into it. But I I think as um, as Woody grows that program and and they get um, to a point where um, they they are much more interested in playing those type of games. Um, I don't think. Uh, Woody's the guy that's going to shy away from, you know, playing in those marquee events. I think, um, you know, Indiana belongs in those events. I think, like you said, I think college basketball is better. And and um, you know, I'm I'm happy that they're they're moving in the right direction. And I'm really excited to watch them watch them play. If they uh, if they want to pick a date and come out to Poly, and we'll go back to, to Bloomington. Like, trust me, I I enjoy Bloomington. I mean, it's it's treated it's treated me really well. I, I love the place. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of different things that go into it. All right.
0: Michael, well, I'm I'm very I'm very thankful you forgot to turn your phone off this afternoon.
2: <laughs> well, too. I mean, you know, the other thing, like I see you guys going back to Bloomington all the time and getting to hang out. Like, I mean, I I wish I got to got to do that one time. I mean, you guys hit all the spots. I mean, it's it's like, nice when know. you don't have
1: any real responsibility. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know. I mean, we. I say that as we career have career goals. We, we
2: all have career goals. I would love to be able to go back to Bloomington and have zero responsibilities.
1: Yeah, that's nice. It's nice. Well, listen, Michael, as Ward said, we're thankful you left your phone on, and we're thankful that you are uh, one of the all-time greats of IU, and you continue to represent the school well, kicking ass at UCLA. And I'm thankful that Ward and I'll be able to go see a game or two at UCLA because you guys have done a really special thing there, and it's fun. Uh, to root for you and root for them. So uh, as long as it has no impact on Indiana whatsoever. Correct. Well,
2: I'm I'm envious, Ward, of your hair. And uh, Eric, I'm thankful that normally every time I jump on this, a uh, box of cigars shows up. So I'm thankful for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a guest. That was a guest. I'll just say this. I'm just happy Michael Lewis is an Indiana Hoosier. That's it. I'm just happy for it. The fact that he grew up in Jasper and played for Indiana and was the all-time assist leader until Yogi Farrell surpassed him. The dude's awesome. And even though I think he wouldn't necessarily use the word friend, we will use the word friend.
0: He used friendship. I'll take it. I'm thankful for that acknowledgement.
1: So, Ward, it's Thanksgiving. It's our Thanksgiving episode. Let's hit two things that each of us are thankful for. When it comes to Indiana University Athletics.
0: Only two? You
1: want to do more? We could do three.
0: Okay, yeah, three. Great. Three each. Sure. I'll start I'll start big picture. Big picture. Okay. I am thankful for the hope and the optimism that is now a part of the Indiana men's basketball team. Mm. Because there was a few months ago for a few weeks, if not a couple months, where I have never been more in despair, more depressed, more pessimistic about where our program was at. And that's cumulative from all the heartache and hardships the program's gone through in the last 25 years. Um, But it was the lowest of lows. And what Scott Dolson, did by hiring Coach Woodson and all the moves that have been made, whether retaining Kenya, bringing in Yaa, ja, Dane, the transfer portal, the new recruits, keeping some of the other key players around. It's just pretty much on a weekly basis, there's been something else to get happy and hopeful and optimistic about. Sitting at 4-0 with a big game against Jackson State tonight. I am just very thankful to be this optimistic about the direction of Indiana University men's basketball.
1: Well said. I am thankful for Tom Allen. That's right. I like it. Right. Because, listen, we are not Alabama. We are not Ohio State. We're not even Wisconsin football. We're not Michigan football. Yeah. We are the losingest program in the history of division one football, okay? Indiana University has lost more football games than any division one team ever. This is turning the aircraft carrier around and what Tom Allen has done since he's been there is made significant strides in changing the direction and the trajectory of this program both with on-the-field performance and with recruiting successes. We have stubbed our whole lower body this year, okay? It's been awful. We have jumped into a wood chipper, basically. (laughs) And it's been brutal. But I have faith, because he has faith, that we are on the right track and that this thing is overall, when you back up and look at a 10-year period of time – much better off than we would be without him. And it will be the best 10 years ever of Indiana University football. I feel confident about that. The recruits that we're getting, the average star rating of the recruits is higher than it's ever been since they started measuring this stuff.
0: And we've always said that's going to take time
1: to pay. Yes, that takes time. For anybody who is freaking out, go look at Northwestern football. Northwestern football. If anybody would have told you, hey Indiana, you can have the same track record of success as Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern football over the last, you know, decade, 12 years, you would take it in a heartbeat. You wouldn't even think about it. And just to to let everybody know where Northwestern football is right now, in the conference is 1 and 7. And overall they're 3 and 8. They're in last place in the Big Ten West. They've won one Big Ten game. Pat Fitzgerald last year was in a better January Bowl than we were in. Like, this is, could we be Northwestern? Yes. Could we eventually even be better? Possibly. But let's get there first. And some of that is several years of good, bowl game after bowl game after bowl game, and then you take a step back and you reload. And that is what's happening right now. The benefit from that great run, which culminated last January, the benefit of that are recruits that will not be on the field making a difference for two years from now. It takes a while. And so, yes, I'm disappointed. Yes, I'm pissed off. Yes, he has to make changes. But I have faith because Tom Allen is the only guy that could have given us the faith that we had last year in the last couple of years. And he's my guy and I'm sticking by him in IU football. And I am thankful that he's the one leading our program.
0: Very well said. I agree with everything you said. And I will only add that I am thankful that this season is almost over.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is that your second?
0: No, no, no. Um, I, I, <laughs> I wanna give a shout out because I didn't really in my last note of gratitude um, to some some folks. We've gotten to know a little bit behind the scenes, um, the managers, the office staff, the people who tolerate our presence when we do come around and more importantly, make that whole thing go. That means so much to us. When I was over at your house for the game last night and we saw at a timeout, all those managers, all obviously the assistant coaches, but the guys on the staff, the Brian Walshes of the world, that that is a small army of people that's making this thing go, and they never get the love, they never get the shout out, they never get the spotlight, but they make it happen every single day, and I think it's something that Unless you are there every day and you're seeing what they're doing, how could you possibly know? And we've had a couple glimpses of that in our trips back. And it's really remarkable what a huge team effort it is to get that team on the floor on national TV where we can all watch them and cheer them on. So I am very thankful for everybody in the athletic department at the university who contributes to our favorite thing in the world tied with our children.
1: Yeah. And by the way, just to give a couple other guys shout outs, you, you know, you mentioned Brian Walsh, who, by the way, we do not have the Gabe Cups commitment if it is not from Brian Walsh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Brian Walsh. Benny Sander. Benny Sander. Operations.
0: Thank you. First... I, I should thank him specifically for my candy stripe pants.
1: Thank him for the candy stripe pants. And thank him for being the guy who is a glue guy in the back room there, making things go, organizing things. And Adam Howard who is the senior manager, who leads the manage the manager crew, who, by the way, kick ass when they play the manager games. Like they play against the managers of every team when they, when they have games. And our staff is good. Like Adam is leading probably one of the most successful manager teams of all time. But beyond that, when you meet Adam and he's like, you forget he's a 22-year-old kid, you realize you are looking at the next Lawrence Frank. You're looking at the next Scott Dolson. There, There is a long list, the next Dusty May. Mm-hmm. Like there is a long list of uber successful former IU basketball managers. And when you talk to Adam Howard, you just know that that's the lineage that he's falling into. Such so- a
0: solid dude and just like always has a smile for you. Always will take care of whatever business needs to be taken care of. Uh, it's it's just like a security blanket walks into the room. Like, don't worry. And to your point, Benny, the same way. These kind of guys who just get it done. Whatever it is, ask them to do it and they figure it out. And and for somebody like Coach Woodson, who's operating at 30,000 feet, you know, to have guys' boots like that on the ground, everybody should should be thankful for them this holiday season.
1: I am going to use this one a little bit broader. I want to thank the entire IU women's basketball program. Excellent. The amount of joy that this women's basketball program has given me and my family, and my daughters specifically, and the community of Indiana is it's just unspeakable. It is we you and I grew up Indiana fans. Indiana women's basketball was never a thing. A it non-entity. was something that happened, but it never was something that the that um, captured the attention of the casual fan. Even a diehard fan was hard to to find that really was into IU women's basketball. What Terry Morin and her staff and this core group of players, Allie Patberg, Grace Berger, Mackenzie Holmes, Nicole Condonio-Hillary, Alexa Goulbay, which is the returning starting five from last year, what they have done is just remarkable. And the way they play is fun and refreshing. Ooh. The way they carry themselves is makes you prideful that they're wearing the, the candy stripes and the cream and crimson. The way we got to see them at the fan fest interact with 120 young girls who want nothing more than to be around their heroes these titans of basketball the, the iu women's basketball program how invested they were in every single one of them i am just so proud of that program obviously it starts at the top with terry morin and it trickles down to her assistants and her strength and conditioning coach and to the managers there and to all of the people that make up that program i love iu women's basketball and i love what they have done to birth this era that has never been seen before so thank you i am thankful for iu women's basketball here 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 one more for you
0: uh, i'm surprised uh i got this one before you because i know you feel this every bit as me i am thankful to every single person who has come in and participated and contributed to the nil collective
1: that was gonna be my next one
0: sorry buddy sorry buddy it's right there this is an extraordinary leap of faith so many people have taken um and obviously it's it's not about us we're we're the conduit if you will it's about so many devoted hoosier fans who want to do whatever they can you know whether it's five dollars, fifty dollars, it all makes a tremendous difference in keeping uh, this program relevant and competitive, and helping it get back to the highest level. Because there are no better fans in the United States, the continental United States. We talked about Alaska; they've they've got some they've got some real. You're not paying attention anymore.
1: <laughs> Why'd you call me out? <laughs> I was was actually sending a text back to someone who was asking
0: about NIL. See, there it is. It's something to be thankful for almost every moment of every day because the response has been extraordinary. And whether it be from the very first people who jumped in right from the get-go – or the thousands of people who showed up at the Fan Fest. And unlike those other schools where there was just freebie tickets to get in and please, please come be around our team. No, these people put down their Benjamins, their Abrahams, their Georges. To, to not only get access to these players, but to support these players and to make sure future players know that there are no fans that are going to support them vocally uh, in Assembly Hall or monetarily out of their own hard-earned dollars. Um, to be an Indiana basketball player. And it's been really, really cool and heartening to see how many people have come uh, join that cause. And, And
1: I am eternally grateful and thankful to all of them. And so is Indiana University, because it's making a difference. It is making a difference in how we are positioned with recruits and how we are positioned with our current players. Anybody considering leaving, you know, might give it a second thought because they know that in year one of this, they made some pretty good, fairly easy money, and they know that that's coming from you guys. So, and and sponsors. I mean, like besides the individuals' ward, Community Cars, York Automotive, Mark Cuban, uh, and some that wanted to be anonymous, uh, very sizable contributions. To this, to this fund and this effort, and uh, you're so right. It's the perfect thing to be thankful for. And I will end by saying that for almost three years now, the better part of two and a half years, I am thankful that we have been powered by. I am thankful to be part of the Pigs community. I have been thankful for that. It's been an incredible partnership. Um, I'm still a fan of pegs and I use it all the time. It is my go-to website. There is, you know how your phone tracks your screen time? Yeah. If it tracked my time on pegs, it would be about 80% of my total screen time. It would be 80% pegs, 15% Twitter, 5% Pornhub. <laughs> no, I'm no, I, sorry. I can't say that. Nope. You can keep that. You can keep that I'm, I'm that. in it for the comedy, Ward. I'm in it for the comedy.
0: I appreciate I am thankful for your commitment.
1: Uh, but I am thankful for Mike, Jeff, Ken, Trevor, the the team at, at pigs.com. I'm thankful uh, for all that they do because, man, I, I mean, I honestly don't know what I would – I would be really productive. I think. I would be a a much more productive human if it weren't for them. But they sure as hell fill me with a lot of enjoyment and entertainment. And I'm just thankful for everything they do for all Indiana University fans. I'll
0: cap it off with something we can all be thankful for. This is for all of us. This isn't me. This is everybody. You're
1: adding a seventh. I mean, you're getting four and I'm getting three. This is for us.
0: This is for us. Okay. No matter how good they are, we are all still very thankful We're not Purdue fans.
1: Oh, yes. So true. That's fair. That is really fair.
0: It's so true. I don't care. I don't care how good they are, how good they look. There is no way on God's green earth I would want to be a Purdue fan. No, it's disgusting.
1: It's disgusting. (laughs) And you know what? I know another gentleman that I am thankful for who agrees with that sentiment. I'm thankful for this guy, too. And we're lucky enough to have him on, not for the first time, but for the second time. So, in a very rare Hoosier Hysterics episode, but why not? It's Thanksgiving. Not one guest, but two guests. Let's bring him on.
0: Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've got somebody, a real glutton for punishment. He came back. We already did this once, but there's been some exciting things in his life that uh, is available for all of us to participate in. So Eric is going to give us a a summation of this gentleman, not the whole laundry list. We'll be here for 10 minutes before he could actually speak. So Eric, catch us up to date here, what this gentleman has done since last we spoke.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know about since last we spoke, but the reason we're talking to this gentleman is because for almost 12 years, he led the Indiana University Athletics Department as the athletic director. During his time there, 28 individual won NCAA team championship. He raised the graduation rate from 77% when he took over to 91%. Mm -hmm. He spent and raised I mean, what, like a third of a billion dollars basically in improving what had become a rundown athletic department infrastructure and all the facilities. He brought in a group of coaches that we are still benefiting from in a majority of the sports. He established things like the IU Student Bill of Rights, which really was a seminal piece of policy that that has been lauded nationwide. It was really the first of its kind. He established the IU Excellence Academy. He established the mantra of 24 sports, one team. He was a huge proponent of diversity and uh, equal rights. He was on the forefront of making sure that uh, any sexual violence or or any harassment got nipped in the bud at Indiana. Uh, Bottom line, he restored credibility to IU athletics that for a long time had been diminished. And for that, we are, eternally grateful and it's something that has cast a long good shadow that we are still benefiting from and he put it all into a book called making your own luck that is available now on all uh retailers all book retailers you can get it i got it on ibooks you can get it on ibooks you can get it on amazon you can get it at at bookstores uh put out by indiana university press right Mm -hmm. uh and and i gotta tell you We'll get into it, but an unbelievably entertaining and insightful read, which I think those two things do not always live side by side. You can either get insight in a nonfiction book or you can get entertainment, but it is rare that the two are just so commingled as they are in this book. So please, with no further ado, welcome Fred Glass.
3: Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the chance to be on. And I really appreciate that introduction. I kind of feel like I should rest my case. I can only screw it up from here after that. <laughs> uh, but again, thanks for your interest. I really enjoyed our our visit the last time. So I think you guys might be the gluttons for punishment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we did that- too. And look, it was one of our most listened to episodes. People, uh, I think, really like hearing from you, Fred. You have obviously an insight that that only a handful of people have ever had for Indiana athletics. And and you were so honest and open and transparent. And really, I mean, I just want to dive into the book because that's what the book is. And so the, my first question is just, you are now in the wake of sharing it with the world and and I'm sure you have interacted with plenty of people who have read it. What has that been like for you as people have read your very personal stories and, and come up to you to
3: discuss them? Yeah, so um, I will tell you that there was a moment um, right before I sort of finally let it go and turned it in, like, I'm not I'm not going to do this. You know? <laughs> Why do I want to? Because I did really try to be pretty transparent about my life and 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 my shortcomings and my wrong turns and stuff like that. And, and um, I was kind of like, why do I want to do that? But 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 I did want to do that because um, I thought it made it a more honest book, um, and I think it made it more compelling, just to be sort of the call to arms, and I hope that it is. I hope it's a book ultimately about empowerment, and that a goof like me, if a goof like me, can do things that are pretty neat, then then other people ought to try it too. And and I and I can't really um, say a goof like me unless I show what. It, a goof I was you know so it, it all fit together but then uh it, it's weird because when you roll it out nobody's read it so it's like spring training it's like pre-conference basketball <laughs> everything's good you know <laughs> right. nobody's read it and I was nervous but excited about people reading it now people have read it people whose judgments I value and I, I don't think too many people will come up and say hey your book sucks so I, I get <laughs> But it's been nice to hear from people and people like you that that, that I think enjoyed. I know it's not going to be a, a bestseller or a Pulitzer or anything like that, but but it was a compellingly personal story. Hopefully, it's a good message. And um, it's been fun to actually talk to people that have read it now.
0: Well, it was really fun to read it. We know one of the catalysts for you writing it was your mother telling you that you'd have to write a book someday. I do wonder, as you took on your mother's challenge and you've taken on many ginormous challenges in your life and career, which you outline and really go into great detail on a lot of it in this book, how hard was it to write a whole book?
3: Yeah, so it was it was hard. But, you know, like Mark Twain said, you know, I didn't have time to write you a short letter. So I had to write you this long one when when, when I when I first did it. (laughs) It was long, man. It was like at least twice as long as the book that that was published because I was basically trying to write the family stories. You know, I'm an only child. My parents are gone. My mother had recently been deceased and and I know how quickly those stories dissipate. So it was really this long kind of memoir. Um, And I loved it because one of my kids said to me, because I had them read it and that was really for them. And they said, uh, "Okay, Dad, what's the book about? Mm. which I thought was like an awesome criticism wrapped up in a question, you know, Right. and, and, and the, the fact is it really wasn't about anything. It was like an endless Seinfeld episode of me meandering <laughs> around and showing up places and stuff, you know? So um, I took that to heart and I, you know, reread it and, and, and that's when it started to reveal itself to me about these top points in time where I had recognized and seized opportunities, sort of, accidentally you know sort of backed into them it wasn't like I had this vision it was just like life happened and 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 in in several places I think I made decisions and learned something and so once it was viewed from that prism then it was easy because the stories that didn't really apply to that were out no matter how funny or whatever or how much I liked writing them um, and, then, and then the ones that underscored that were in, and, and, I, and I resisted advice that I got from editors and others to write what I thought was a very formulaic book, you know, mm. chapter one, precept one, here's the precept, here's the story, let's revisit the precept, bold print. I didn't want it to be a manual, and, and, I, and I hope that it's more of an arc of my uh, personal and professional life stirring in sort of indiscriminately where these uh, precepts applied. Um, and that's, and that was, the, that was the fun part of, of doing the book for me. Well, one of the most
1: fun parts of the book is that you do lay out these precepts on how you kind of have lived your life and and, and how you think you could be helpful maybe to someone else. And that's been informed by, I mean, let's face it, you, you've had the good fortune and put yourself in, in some of those situations of meeting some of the most impressive people ever. I mean, from Birch Bay to Evan Bay, to just being around presidents and, you know, presidents of universities and mayors and I mean great people who have a lot of wisdom to share, to your Jesuit education, to really what I found to just be emotional and fascinating growing up, you know, in a Skid Row bar, you know, or bars, I should say, with a father who was an alcoholic, who who um you know, posed obvious challenges. And, and I really liked the vulnerability that you you bring to those stories. But then these precepts you kind of revisit throughout the book. When you tell these amazing stories in the arc of your life, you hit like a moment and you remind the, the reader of the precept that informed that decision or that circumstance. And I found that that repetition and that revisiting of those things really informative and and helped drive home the point. So Uh, I do want to focus in though on your family story because it's one thing to talk about bringing the Super Bowl to Indianapolis or negotiating the new stadium, you know, or, 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 you know, hiring Terry Morin. Uh, It's another thing to talk about your father. We can talk about that as much as you want. Yes, and we will. (laughs) But but it is another thing to talk about your father and his alcoholism and how that impacted you uh, for your life and how it impacted your mom. How did you um, grapple with revealing something that personal to people you don't know?
3: Yeah, let, let, it first should be said, because I don't want to miss this, that um, I almost, I was, I was hesitant to call it making your own luck, even though I think that ultimately was very apt, because it sort of connotes, you know, um, picking myself up out of the gutter, some Horatio Alger, <laughs> story you know beating all odds and it's not that book it, it should be acknowledged that I've had lots of advantages okay so
1: sure. you, you, know, and you point that out throughout the book by the way you do that yeah yeah I think and
3: I think it's important to do that because it's easy to fall into this caricature and, and I don't want it to be and I think people that sometimes have advantages don't realize their advantages and focus on the uh, headwinds not the tailwinds but you know both my parents were first generation college graduates but they were college graduates I grew up in a two-parent home and notwithstanding my father's alcoholism, I think they modeled, and maybe even because of my father's alcoholism, they, they bonded a commitment to their marriage, you know, that was really important to me. I went to a Jesuit prep school, which may be the definition of privilege, right? So yeah. that's a big deal. And then I wasn't ever the victim of discrimination for who I was, for who I loved, or what color my skin was. And so those are huge advantages. And I want to acknowledge those. Sure. The story, I hope, really is how ordinary I was. And how common these things are to people um um that i wasn't some some uh, special kid that was always at the forefront of what was going on i was a knucklehead i was kind of a bad kid um and and i was i did fight with anxieties that arose out of my dad's alcoholism but i ended up being able to do all this what i think you know is really cool stuff and 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 that's the message i want to make because i think sometimes people wait for the people that have all the answers, the people with the superpowers, the people with the magic. Um, and it's really just people like us that get to do cool things like what I've done, start a podcast, you know, uh, uh, those sorts of things. I, I like, I quote it in the book, Chuck Knoll, I love his quote that champions aren't people that do things that are extraordinary. Champions are ordinary people that do the ordinary things better than everybody else. And I think that's really compelling and maybe maybe sort of the thesis of the book, I guess.
0: One thing that I took away from, especially your early experiences, is you'd mentioned earlier, not wanting something to kind of like be a a cliche, a trope that you would find in a story. And the way you got to know those who went to your father's bar, the patrons, uh, the guy who worked in the bar and swept up, that you got to know them not as a two-dimensional caricature, but as real human beings. And I thought that was really powerful and informative. How did growing up in that environment with people who really had been cast off by society to a large part, how did that inform the way you interacted with with presidents and senators and titans of industry?
3: Yeah, thanks for that, Ward. So um, I... Should say that I hated being in the back of that bar. You know, my friends were doing all kinds of other stuff, and I was down there. And I was an only child, so I was I was part of an adult family. If they were at the bar, I was at the bar. And I'm telling you, nights, weekends, you know, we were there, holiday dinners, the whole thing. But as you allude to, um, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me to help me be a better man, you know, a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, because I did get to know these people as real people, um, and that was super informative. And I. And I got to see the real world in action. You know, I hate to say this, but um, I I saw the the cops come in and hassle patrons until my dad gave them a fifth of Jack Daniels to go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it wasn't news to me that you know the power structure could be tough on people that had no power. Um, and 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 I I think that was helpful to me. And that, that, I think that helped me very specifically in athletics when people were coming from. Um, backgrounds where it wasn't enough to mind your own business. You know, I got friends who say, well, don't do anything wrong. You won't get any trouble. Mm -hmm. That's not right for everybody, man. And then I got to see my father who was this burly, um, you know, tough dude, basically, you know, live the gospel and, and give me lessons that were all unsaid about modeling, you know, the kind of behavior you want. I, I don't want him to come across as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, unrounded uh, figure you know I mean his alcoholism was was not good it was hard on me he couldn't he couldn't help it with his demons and in some ways he's an extraordinary man beyond that and and I think that's important too because we're all packaged deals right in the movies they're black hats and white hats most of the time and and real life is a lot different than that
0: for sure. Well, and and to be you know to be clear to the listeners who haven't read the book yet, just talking about how your father would have Thanksgiving meals, holiday meals for those patrons, yep. that clearly both he and your mother imbued you with so much of of giving and of community. That I thought you did a great job in the book, not painting him as just that thing.
3: Good, I, I appreciate that. And and Eric, I didn't answer your question before about um. Sharing those stories. Right. Um, I set out from the beginning to share those stories. And um, and, and and I did, because I, I wanted to have a realistic profile and I wanted to have that profile for my kids and grandkids. And, sure. and the kids won't know me, you know, and not have some artificial description of it. I, I just think that, that realness is really important. What evolved more over time was how far to tell stories, you know, like an IU about other people. And, and for a while, I wasn't sure. But then I just drew a line and said, I don't want this to be a kiss and tell book. I don't, I don't want this to be salacious. Um, a, I don't think those are my stories to tell. I don't want it to be like that. And secondly, I think it would detract from what I was really trying to communicate. So I, I think readers that are interested in a behind the scenes look at how we rebuilt IU athletics and, and a couple of funny stories will enjoy it. But people looking for the real story behind this or that will probably be disappointed.
1: Well, look, I, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. So my ties to the city of Indianapolis are that that's where I would fly into from time to time. And it's where I continue to fly into when I go back to Indiana. And and I have a a, a fondness for the city uh, from my time within the state of Indiana and, and obviously specifically Bloomington. But your retelling of of your progression through Indianapolis and state politics, I just find fascinating. I mean, if you are somebody who has any interest in a peek behind the curtain on how policy happens and big initiatives get done, the, the story of building the stadium and keeping the Colts in Indianapolis is just an incredible sports story and also a great story. And you don't really hit this To your credit, but like you deserve the credit for that, and so did the mayor and what ended up happening and and i'm simplifying it, of course, but you basically had to give everything to the state. Right and and to get the thing done, you had to sacrifice a little bit of personal acclaim and and not a little bit a lot and and good things for the city too, but you kept your, your collective eyes on what the important thing was, was get the stadium built and keep the Colts. And, and then that happened again in the Super Bowl, where you do all the work for the pitch, you pitch it, but you don't get it that year, it sets it up for the next group. And you did get some acknowledgement. But I just thought those were incredible life lessons about how it's, a failure is not necessarily a failure. And you, you, that's one of your precepts too. You know, you find great opportunity in disappointments. And I just thought like from a, a person who is a sports fan or a, a, a fan of politics or government, those stories were, were really fascinating. Was it fun for you or painful for you to dredge up all the details of those stories?
3: You know, um, I'm going to be honest and say it was, it was painful really. Um, yeah. The, 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 uh, the early stories um, w- with the tavern and 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 reliving about my uh, anxiety attacks, um, I I wouldn't sleep and and I and I almost felt my felt myself falling back into having anxiety attacks from wow. reliving that so much. That was that that was hard. And then I really got pissed all over again about the way the stadium deal went down and how bad it really was. And I, I tried to make it very factual. I, you don't see a lot of adverbs in there. You know, I tried to make it very factual and readers can conclude themselves kind of what, what happened, but, but that was, you know, disappointing to revisit that. But to your ultimate point, you know, the city got what it wanted, you know, to, to save our baby, we gave it up for adoption and, and, and it's grown into an awesome kid, you know? So I know it sounds maybe like Pavlov, but it's not it's it's the result is what matters what 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 Teddy Roosevelt say it's amazing how much you can get done. If you don't care who gets credit and, and I think Bart Peterson certainly lived that but that that
1: is the opposite I would say of modern day politics. Right, I mean it is not about getting the thing done it is simply about. You know, um, triangulating your support so that you can get reelected or prevent the other guy from getting something done that he could get credit for or she could get credit for. And that's why I I found those stories. And they were very factual and procedural, but they were inspirational, because it was a group of people that were trying to do something really good for a city and a state. And you did have to sacrifice personal acclaim and personal um, success for the thing and and it was great to read about like your commitment to service and the people that taught you commitment to service that you really modeled your life after i mean birch by you know and 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 even you know i know serving was a big deal with your parents and and so i just those things inspired me in the book and and i just think a lot
3: of people will find inspiration in those i i appreciate that i I, uh, I, I think you hit on something, too, in the book that, that I, I, because I grab onto this thing about luck is where preparation meets opportunity, because so many people, I think, like to define luck as happenstance. Right. You know, that just happened. And, it, and and often in the case of, isn't that guy lucky? And and I think sometimes that takes people off the hook for responsibility for their own development if, if they see other people's achievement as being attributed to luck in the happenstance set. So, you know, it's like Arnold Palmer says he got luckier as he practiced more. And, and I think that's really uh, the case about luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And, and so I tried to define my preparation as all that went before me, most of which I didn't anything to do with, right? right? So, so, so the Skid Row Bar, I didn't even like that. I certainly didn't get credit for that. My dad's alcoholism, I didn't like that. I didn't get credit for that. My parents modeling public service across the spectrum, Um, my parents being progressive on issues about race relations, um, that I get no, that I shouldn't get any credit for that. I don't get any credit for that. A modest amount of credit for getting myself, you know, through, uh, through college and law school. But I I think that's important because I think people ought to embrace their preparation, even if it's stuff they don't particularly like, or even if it's stuff for which they take no credit, because that's all part of the, all part of the package and i think the more you um embrace that as opposed to push against it the more you can help convert that into opportunities
0: well and as a reader seeing the painstaking efforts and and the failures on the way to success and as a lifelong colt's fan knowing how how crucial it was with that work you did behind the scenes so that we're still cheering on this team this is where i take a moment in this week where our theme is gratitude and being thankful on Thanksgiving. How thankful are, are you that we have Jonathan Taylor playing
3: in Indianapolis? right now? <laughs> right. Yeah, boy, that's for sure, man. And when he was at Wisconsin, the last I ever thought I'd do is root for him, but, <laughs> but he's a, uh, he's, he's special. And um, yeah, I mean, you guys, I'm old enough that I remember Indianapolis before the Colts and, and whether you like it or not, NFL city man equals major league city, and you know if you if you watch the news in another market, Indianapolis is a place that they report the weather. They didn't do that before there was a team here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's a big deal. And fortunately, I think we have tremendous. A lot of people give Jim Irsay a hard time. I who could want a better owner than Jim Irsay? He's the he best. wears his heart on his sleeve, invests everything. I mean, Edron James and he are boys. He, he asked him to introduce him into the hall of fame. He gives Edron James a full scale reign for the super bowl after he left the team. Wow! You know, he's a, he's a dude, man. And then, and then with the current guys with Frank Reich and Bill Pullian is one of my mentors and heroes. It's a class franchise. It's like the new Pittsburgh, the new New York giants, I think. And, and that reflects well on our city and I'm grateful for it.
1: Uh, as a, a product of a town that has lost two football teams in st louis i can tell you when you don't have a football team you are not a major city and and st louis is a case study in that because you can look at the resurgence and the downfall of that city and tie it pretty closely to when we had nfl franchises and when we have not and it's uh it's a sad story. There's We won't get into St. Louis politics. That's the, a whole other thing. That, the
0: good news is it means there's an opening here and we're bringing Eric into Colt's fandom, kicking and screaming, <laughs> but we are getting him on
1: board. That's right. Um, I do want to ask you a question as we move into your life. Um, you know, I mean, I, again, the the stories of working in politics and working with Evan by, By the way, you do totally gloss over in the book that you started – working for Evan Bay, he brings you on uh, in the transportation department. I don't forget, I forget the exact title. But you become his chief of staff. You don't even talk about that. Like that's a big moment, Fred. You became the chief of staff for the governor. And you just, I was like reading the book and going, wait a minute, where did that story? Where's the story where they gave him that job? So I do have to ask you, what was, what did happen when he asked you to become the chief of staff?
3: Yeah, it's funny, man, because um, I came in, I I was still in my 20s and was the executive assistant for the transportation department and BMV and and all that, which was an incredible uh, lesson. And and I was always that guy. This will surprise you guys probably. I was always that guy that had the legal pad and was like writing down and following up and getting stuff done and all that to the point where the chief of staff asked me to be his deputy chief of staff he said, I just need you to help get shit done. So because I'm busy, you know, so I was like the chief get shit done guy as the deputy chief of staff because I was kind of an outlier. You know, I mean, I was at the heart of the of the of the uh, executive team. And then when when the chief of, when the chief of staff decided to leave somewhat to my surprise, he recommended me as chief of staff. And I didn't have a real close relationship with Evan at the time. I mean, I you know knew him, of course, and all that. And so it was a little bit of a leap of faith for him to make me uh, chief of staff, but I was still like 31 years old. And, and um, you know, so it, it was, it was, it was a big deal. And it was one of those moments where I didn't feel like I had the chops for that.
1: But all that matters according to your precepts is the guy who's
3: hiring you believes it. Exactly. And that, that's what, that's one of the early examples of that. And so that, that, and that was, that was awesome. I mean, that was uh, to have that, Um, confidence placed in me early in my career and and have to sink or swim early in my career um, and and largely swim has helped me a tremendous amount ever since.
1: I also love the timeline real quick of just 12 years before that. Let's not forget that you were arrested not once, but (laughs) twice. And you want to talk about an ordinary guy's story. There you go. I mean one of us has been arrested in the state of Indiana twice. twice. <laughs> so two out of 3 here.
0: We got the
3: majority. There right. we go. I like um, it. I like it.
1: What what I wanted to get to because I think it's coming from politics and you make no I mean you can't hide from it but you're a democrat you have liberal beliefs and progressive beliefs and you're in a state of Indiana that that does not on a statewide uh, basis embrace that line of thinking. And I am curious, when you took the job at Indiana, and we have found this doing on our podcast, you know that the vast majority of people that are following you, especially in the state, are not of your political leanings. And was that at all difficult for you to navigate? Again, I know you had to work across the aisle with people, but it does seem like it would be different when you're at Indiana, where so many of, of people that have different beliefs in you just have a lot of power and, and it's dictated a lot by their influence financially. Was that,
3: um, how was that? Was that hard? You know, it, it wasn't. And, and, I, and I think that's because while I'm clearly partisan and I'm un- unapologetic about my politics, um, probably learning at the knee of Evan by. Bayh- I've been moderate in terms of um, my approach to real politics. And, and I think, I'd like to think, and I do think a bridge builder, I'm not someone who's viewed as somebody that's scorching earth and throwing people under the bus and, and, and all that. And you know, there's a number of examples of that. One of my best friends in the world is a guy named Murray Clark, who was a six-year Republican state senator. He was Republican state chairman. He ran for uh, governor on the Republican ticket as lieutenant governor. Um, When we were at Baker and Daniels, we had this shtick. Every year we had the Capitol caucus and the invitation were caricatures of Murray kind of looking like an elephant, me kind of looking like a donkey. And he'd invite all of the Republicans and I invite all the Democrats. And we'd have this great thing where people just checked all their shit at the door and had a great time, and oh, by the way, if you want to get something done, go to Baker and Daniels because Murray and Fred got it covered, you know? Yeah. That was the subliminal message. Or um, Bill Steffen, who was the chairman of the search committee is a, I think he's kind of a, like a Republican Fred Glass. He's a partisan and all that, but he's viewed as a bridge builder. He doesn't let politics get in the way. I mean, he was my biggest advocate um, for, the, for the job, along with Mike Sample, a career Republican, uh, operative lobbyist Steve Steve uh, Ferguson was the chairman of the of the uh, uh, um, board of trustees. Republicans served in the state legislature. He was a huge uh, uh, advocate for me because I think there's something among people who've been in public service. They get the value of public service in roles outside of public service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with like rank and file donors and all that, and I think you're probably right that they they probably let's say they lean uh, red. Yeah, uh, and not cream and crimson red, like,
1: uh,
3: <laughs> like TV red. Um, most of them assumed I was Republican. Oh, and just let them go on assuming. <laughs> yeah, and, and but 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 the ones that that knew I wasn't, I don't think particularly cared. You know, and so it, so that was a long way of coming back to it was never really an issue as far as I'm concerned.
0: One thing you're clearly great at is whether it's one-on-one or, or often going into a room with something to sell, as it were, to pitch, whether it's yourself for the IUAD job or Indianapolis to host the Super Bowl or, or, or donors of either political ilk or apolitical uh, to, to commit money to the university to, to get things done. You're really good at, at getting what you need from people to get these great things accomplished. What's what's the magic there? How do you make your own luck when you walk into a room and you need to convince people to to give you something or to approve of something that's key to something huge happening?
3: Well, I I appreciate the compliment. We we talked a little bit about this last time, Mm -hmm. you know, we were together because that's not innate in me. That's that's not really natural in me. I mean, this is funny to think about for me now, but I almost quit law school because the idea of uh, speaking in class terrified me so much. I would throw up on the way to school most days my first year. We drove, I lived by this um, uh, grain elevator that smelled like popcorn. And still, when I go into a theater or something and smell that popcorn, man, I get this anxious feeling and I have to remember why, you know. And, and I, and I, that's not very flattering of me, but I tell that story and I've told it to a lot of students at IU because who you are when you're 20, isn't who you are when you're 30 or 40 or 50. And, and you shouldn't assume I can't do that. Or that's going to be an impediment to my career. Cause I mean, being a lawyer is my lifelong thing. And, and I'm not going to say, Oh, I like almost quit, but I thought about quitting. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go in there and do that. So, um, so I think it's something I, I learned over time, and I like advocacy. I like I like I, I like litigation because I like writing advocacy. I like working with the judge because I liked writing opinions that had a tone of this is of course the natural outcome, but it's really an advocacy piece, right? About what your position is, and so I liked it. I did I did more of it, and um, that's the way you get stuff done. And so. You know, 20 year old Fred would not, no rap, no girls, Fred in college would not go in and own a room and work the room. Okay. (laughs) But now I'm, 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 I think I'm introverted. Um, even though some people are surprised by that. And it's a little bit of a push to go and, you know, work the room. But when I'm working in kind of an advocacy role, um, I, you know, I, I enjoy that.
0: Then it's not about you. Your focus is on what you're there to advocate for?
3: Yeah, that's right. Although now it's weird because promoting this book's a little is like a little bit about me, and that yeah. feels weird because I was always the guy pushing somebody else's right agenda. I mean, I I, I had this in the book and I left it out. I was going to put it in an appendix, but I had these staff rules for a, for a, a staff member for the governor, and I used to give them um, verbally. To uh, people, and then when I left, Governor By asked me to write them down so they could keep them and, and inculcate them in people going forward. And and you know, one of them was you you have no significance beyond who you work for. You know, hmm. check everything you care about at the door, and without um, without fail and without pause, everything good is in the governor's name. You know, that's my world. And so this is um, a little different because even though it's the book, it's me and it, and it feels a little weird.
0: Sure.
1: I want to dig in on two, two things in the book. One that I just am genuinely curious about. And it's when you talked about the Super Bowl bid that you, you needed to figure out a way to differentiate your bid from other cities. And one of them, and I think maybe the major one, was that you were going to raise the money to spend on the Super Bowl, the $25 million, before you got the the Super Bowl granted to Indianapolis what I am just curious about is the people that and businesses that you got to give you that money are they just giving it to you on the come that if you get the Super Bowl it will be good for the city and you're 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 appealing to their civic pride or is there a a direct financial benefit for them that they earn the money back somehow
3: Eric, it's 100% the former. And and to me, that's the special sauce of Indianapolis. And and that's why like the guys at the NFL are like, you'll never do that. Because I said, look, I get that a mark against us is we're a small market team. And you guys might wonder if we've got the chops to raise the money to put on the kind of Super Bowl you want. I'm going to take that issue off the table by raising it in advance. And they thought I was crazy. (laughs) But, But this isn't because I'm the best fundraiser in the world. This is because there's this special civic commitment in indianapolis because as you guys know these uh, these uh these contributions to super bowl pieces they're highly negotiated sponsorships how many tickets right when do i get there what parties do i go to and and my pitch was i'm not offering you i'm not offering you anything you, you get you might you'll probably get something i don't know what it is but i need you to give x so we can raise the money in advance so we can take this issue off the table and we raised 25 million dollars in 45 days
1: that is astounding i mean that is astounding well i think it's why nobody did it
3: before and nobody's done it since but i think it was a big part of why we had such a compelling bid and lost 17 to 15 against dallas when the bid was literally worth millions of dollars more to every owner
1: Right. And I uh, just to follow up on that, before I ask the second thing I wanted to get into, which is IU-centric, did did the majority of the people and businesses that committed to $25 million for the 2011 bid stay with their commitment for 2012?
3: Yeah, almost uniformly, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's and amazing. In, I mean, one, that is incredible.
0: One thing I thought would be fun to mention on, what were the items you had hand-delivered to the NFL headquarters with that
3: bid? Yeah. So, you know, what do you give people that have everything, you know? So, so we wanted to get their attention. So first of all, we had this big ass box, man. It was like, I don't know, like four feet tall and and it was in the, it was in the form of Lucas oil stadium. It was really cool. I wish I had that for my grandchildren right now. Yeah. And then in the box, we had, it, it was an invitation to three events. One, as we said, come see Indianapolis. We are an awesome event city. So, so the, the sort of the hook was, it was an invitation. So one was to a, um, Indianapolis 500 and we had a bell helmet with the logo of the NFL team, their NFL team signed by Mario Andretti. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Then the second thing was, um, we had some sort of NBA thing here. I, I don't think we it was a basketball, thing.
1: right? Signed. Wasn't yeah. it a
3: basketball signed by at, Larry Bird? I forget what the event was. It might have been a pacer game, but I think it was something bigger than that. But it was a basketball signed by Larry Bird and the big O. God. And, and then the third thing was a uh was a was a hole stick from Crooked Stick signed by John Daly. That's awesome. Awesome. It was, it was I mean... great. Oh, and, and we had them delivered by eighth graders who were gonna benefit <laughs> by the by the scholarship legacy fund that we were creating.
1: It was shameless. It was so good. (laughs) That's good. All right, so then the other thing I want to get that I think would would pique all IU fans' interest, because I didn't realize this reading the book, that when you came in to take over as AD, it seemed like the, the headwinds were for, or the tailwinds, I should say, were for replacing Assembly Hall. That big donors, the establishment there, all seemed to be going towards that. We need a new arena and you came in with no experience as athletic director <laughs> you know you did have to convince everybody that that you were the right guy to go with and you basically almost immediately fought them on that and and you talk about in the book which is great how you reframed it's not just renovating assembly hall it's protecting the greatest home court advantage in sports and but i am curious like how close was assembly hall to being replaced or, or, or the attempt to replace it.
3: Very close, man. I mean, if, if, if Kelvin Sabson hadn't blown up Rick Greenspan, I think it would have happened because Rick Greenspan wanted to scrape it, hired um, HOK to tell him to scrape it, which they did Um, Steve Ferguson, who was a big part of me getting hired and the head of the head of the board of trustees wanted to scrape it. They spent, a bunch of money to relocate a uh, utility line um, when they built um, cook hall so that because the plan was scrape assembly hall where it is move it to the south so it'd be right in front of cook hall they spent millions of dollars to preserve that eventuality Hmm. not possibility the board of trustees passed a resolution that basically said scrape it with all deliberate speed it was it was university policy to tear down Assembly Hall and build a new one, and, and, I, and I get the argument for that. You know, reasonable people can disagree about it, but, but but I didn't I didn't think it was for me. It wasn't a it wasn't close. And as I say in the book, you know, I didn't want some cookie cutter. You know, with all due respect to Ohio State and Michigan State and Wisconsin and um, you know hockey schools not coincidentally they've got that multi-purpose could be anywhere nba feel and um you know when the lights come on at assembly hall nobody's got to say live from assembly hall because you know Mm -hmm. and and i've talked to coaches man when 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 that place is rocking when when it's going and then we steal it and dunk and and the noise goes to a whole new level and all those people are up there man that's intimidating and you, you read these um surveys from players and coaches it's the hardest place to play and and I just thought it was unwise to give that up and thought that we could keep the iconic nature of it and and save it um and 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 you know that that's what we did
0: well we certainly hope uh that coach Woodson in his era will bring back uh, the thunderous noise, so far so good, but somebody you're responsible for and you get into details in the books of how you went about getting Coach Morin and securing Coach Morin. How much fun is it, with now no pressure whatsoever, where, where you can have a beer or two and watch the ladies play to see the heights which she's brought this program to? Well, it is awesome. And I
3: will tell you, Wednesday against St. John's, I was hearing that roar. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, that was pretty strong. Um, yeah, Terry, I mean, she's, she's just good people for one thing. And, um, I thought she was the profile of what we needed. And then I met her and I really believed in her, uh, from the beginning, even on that weird start coming, you know, starting so late and, and, um, um, she's, uh, she's special, man. And, 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 the, and the, and the kids she attracts, are special. I think some of my funnest trips were, uh, the NCA tournament games with that team because the, uh, the students on that team are, are grateful. They're, they're really good kids and man, they're doing something super special.
0: Did you ever allow yourself to imagine that they would be a top four team in the country?
3: <laughs> I should say yes, but the answer is no. You know,
0: I mean, I mean yeah. it's crazy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, this, this is, she exceeds my, um, you know, lofty expectations. It's,
1: she has built, because of you bringing her there, one of the, what, top 10 programs in the country. I mean, when you look at the consistency, I think she's had six consecutive 20-win seasons. First time that's ever happened at in Indiana. She's gone to the tournament several times. She's competing for Big Ten championships. She made an Elite Eight. I mean, it is, it is remarkable. Listen, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't ask you a kind of tough question. Sure. So let's talk about Archie for a second.
3: Sure.
1: I think you lay out in the book um, really plainly why he was the guy that you went with. And 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 you are right that so many people in the, in the business agreed that he's the hot up and coming mid-major coach. He's next up, if you will. But it didn't work. OK, so I mean, as you said, results are what matter, right? So it it did not work. Do you look back on it and look at that hire and think about what did you miss about him specifically that uh, that with the benefit of hindsight, you, you wish you would have paid maybe a little bit more attention to? and And what do you think? Some of it is bad luck. Let's, let's push that off the, the, the side because the pandemic meant that we didn't make the tournament. I get it. And that probably changes the narrative, but the next year it fell apart as well. So, but what do have you let yourself think about what is that thing that maybe you missed that made it so that it didn't work?
3: Yeah, just just a footnote on that. I mean, the the pandemic first denied them to be able to go to the tournament in year three and then denied them a traditional year four. You know, no fans in the stands, that sort of thing. But setting that aside, um, it is a results-oriented business. And the fact that he was replaced means he wasn't successful. Um, And I have total confidence in Scott. You know, Scott's my guy. And and so I don't second guess, you know, his analysis. Um, I will tell you, it's really not just to dodge the question. I don't, I don't look back, man. You know, I, I was the steward when I was the steward. And, and I will allow that, I, I, knowing the same things, I'd hire him again. So I, 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 I guess I don't feel like I missed something or, or, or whatever. Um, so, so I think it's fair to ask me while I was in the chair, would I do that again? I would. Do I look back and, and analyze why or why not? I don't because um, that's part of what I wanted to leave behind, right? We talked about this a little bit before, after the Kevin Wilson, um, Tom Crean, two power coaches in 100 days, um, I was like, I'm not I don't want to go through a cycle of this again, you know, and 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 that impacted along with the bicentennial and finishing the the master plan, my timing. So I don't really I don't have to think about that because I don't have to hire the next guy. So I really I really don't <laughs> think about that. And, and, All right. and it's not it is a dodge but it's not meant to be a dodge. It's, it's, um it's part of my thing. When you go, go the right way. I did my thing until June 30, 2020. And then it was Scott's turn. And I'm really glad it's him because I have so much confidence in him, but, but it's him now. And I just don't worry about it.
1: Well, and I think it also deserves to be said, and you did not really take credit for this in the book, but we know this to be true. Scott Dolson is not the athletic director of Indiana. I think we're not for Fred glass. Uh, Scott had been there obviously before you, but your recommendation to President McRobbie to make Scott Dolson uh, the next athletic director and and recommending him to the Board of Trustees, that carried a ton of weight, and you don't give yourself credit for that, but we do, we, we know that that was the case, and I think that as people um, have gotten to know Scott over the last year or so in a way that they did not before, you you deserve thanks of a Hoosier nation for that. And, and I know we, we do
3: thank you for that. I appreciate that guys. I really do.
0: Well, and now that you get to, to just be a fan and, and watch these Hoosiers, obviously you watch the St. John's game as people are listening to this, we're all getting ready to, to take on Syracuse. What, what do you think? I mean, what are you seeing from the team so far? What do you, what do you like? What are you excited about? Maybe what do you have some reservations about? You know, what's the, What's the
3: ceiling for this season? Man, I'm, I'm all in, I'm on the love train. Um, <laughs> I, I like this team and, and all the off season moves are super solid. Um, and I think really everything that everything that's gone right has gone right. And, and nothing that could go wrong. has gone wrong. And, you know, I'm a big Woodson fan. I mean, um, he and I went to Broaderville high school together. I like to say I, I took driver's ed there one summer, but I did, go to all, I did go to all the games in that little cracker box gym they have upstairs. Uh, and you know, he was my era, uh, there. So, um, I, uh, I've always, you know, admired him a great deal. And, and, um, so I'm all in and, and cheering on the, the who, uh, every, every game. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. I want to say
1: this just to wrap it up about the book. The book is, like I said, entertaining and insightful. It is funny. It is fun. It is um, inspirational throughout. Uh, It is, I, I hate using the word educational. I like insightful more. But as somebody who, you know, if you're in business, if you're just, you know, just trying to better yourself and create the best version of yourself, these precepts that you put in the book, the values that you instilled at Indiana that you really lay out in great detail. I just find, you know, that they are so applicable to anyone, uh, you know, how you run your family, how you try to be in your business, um, how you try to treat people. I love the idea of, I had not heard this before, the the platinum rule and not the golden rule of mm-hmm. treat people the way they want to be treated. I, I just think there's so much in there that you put in in such a digestible way. There is just, the book is very easy to read but very dense with just great stuff but i also want to make note of there are and you alluded to this at the beginning there are places you could have gone in this book especially when you talk about some of the hirings and firings at indiana that you don't go and i found it classy and showed your integrity and there it's in the past and there's no need to dredge up some of that stuff and i thought that was refreshing in an age where you know, look, I work in entertainment where everybody writes a tell-all book and you write an expose or an op-ed in something. And if you've got the goods, you divulge the goods because that's what gets clicks and that's what sells. And you decided to write a book that was inspirational and would help people and wasn't about tearing anybody else down. And I, I found that to be just so refreshing. And I had no doubt that's what it would be because that's who you are. You're a classy guy and you ran the athletic department in a way that makes Hoosiers proud and we still are proud. And, and I just want to thank you for it. I think the book is a gift to not just Hoosiers, but anybody who's got interest in sports and athletics. It's a great, great book and uh, everyone should go get it. Making your own luck by Fred glass available everywhere books are sold. Right.
3: Awesome. Exactly. Right. Thanks guys. I really appreciate being on and I, and your generous comments are, so nice, and and uh, I appreciate your interest and the reflections. You obviously uh, read the book. That's kind of you.
0: Well, and to stay on the theme of thankfulness, not just as a Hoosier fan, but as a Colts fan, mm-hmm. as a native Hoosier who's way way out here and has limited impact on what goes on there. Uh, Indiana would be a lot better uh, the more Fred glasses we'd have running around because you've made an impact not just on our school, but on that city, which affects the whole state. And uh, this Thanksgiving week, thank you.
3: That's very kind of you. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so well, much. Let's just let say adult Fred glass
1: is running around the younger Fred glass running around a little hey, problematic. No, you know? wait, no separation.
0: <laughs> no separate. It's all the same guy. It's all it's part a of package the journey. Deal. It's yeah. a
1: package deal. Like you said, all right, Fred, you be good. Have a great Thanksgiving with your family yeah. and we'll talk to you soon.
3: Thanks guys. Really do appreciate it. Take care now.
1: That was a guest. That was a guest. I just really enjoy talking to him. I do. I think He's such an accomplished guy, but he's a very easy guy to talk to. He's laid back. He's laid back, but he's a killer too. Like, let's not kid ourselves. To accomplish what he has accomplished professionally takes a killer. And, and um, like you said, the, the city of Indianapolis and the state of Indiana owe him a great deal. And look, yes, there are things we disagreed with on how he ran IU's athletic department on a granular level. Like, Archie was a bad decision. Okay. Right, but who amongst us thought that at the time? No, and and on a overall, you know, um, scope, what he did to save Indiana athletics as a whole is deserving of our gratitude. I mean, it just flat out is. We were a mess. The facilities. were dilapidated we were behind everyone in the conference
0: well and really you know talking with coach Crean about the disaster that that athletic department was when he walked in here just the turnover the shambles that it was in and there's no manual on how to get your athletic department back to be amongst the most respected in the country and he did that in relatively short order And
1: when you lose, it's one thing to fix a building. You know what I mean? Like, look, it takes a lot for the infrastructure and to get the money and to find the right design and to get through all the red tape that you have to get through to build a building. But that is a tangible, very easy thing to put out on a piece of paper and say, okay, we need a hundred million dollars to do X, Y, and Z. It is another thing to restore respectability and credibility to an athletic department. That is so difficult. And he did that through strong, clear leadership. And I respect that, even though I disagree with some of the specifics, I I respect what he did. And we would not be having the success in many of the, the programs that we have if it were not for him. And look, we can talk about football, and I'm sure we will.
0: Oh, I was afraid you were going to break it up, but I'm glad you didn't.
1: <laughs> well, but I, I mean, look, it, it we're having a terrible year. But the last his tenure and what he did for IU football was the best it had been since Mallory. Okay. Yeah, and so to be
0: fair, I thought if we did go there with this conversation um that Fred would have some very insightful things to say as to why it, it went South this year and why there'd be reason for optimism going forward because he knows Tom Allen.
1: Yeah. I, I just, uh, I really appreciate Fred glass and, and I am thankful for Fred glass's tenure as athletic director of Indiana. Because I do think that the Scott Dolson era, which I think is going to stand on the shoulders of that era, is due to the fact that Fred Glass built this incredible foundation that allows us to now get to excellence in in, on the on the fields of play, uh, uh, the metrics. and, And to that point.
0: Um it's definitely in vogue to talk about the last 4 years and how dreadful they were for the basketball team but the fact is it wasn't like what Kelvin Sampson left there was a base here from which Woody could grow this program in pretty short order because the house was in order. He came into an orderly house, which now he can sprinkle his magic Woody dust on and really take things to the level we all wanted to get back to. But there was, again, there there was nothing written in the stars that IU was ever going to be able to get back into a place where it could join the elite. And I think we, We are all very hopeful that that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And it's not some sort of, oh, my gosh, can Woody really bring us back out of the ashes again? It's not that situation at all.
1: Listen, Ward, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for, I think I say this every year, but I am thankful for Hoosier Hysterics, which you came up with the idea to do. I am thankful that we get to do this on a regular basis. I am thankful that you and your beautiful family were at my house last night, and we got to watch the Indiana game together while our kids night. swam in the pool. Great night! It was awesome, and I am thankful that Indiana University is the thread that that you know ties us together. And uh, because if it weren't for Indiana, I would not want to spend any time with you.
0: No, 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 no. We we uh, we might text each other every once in a while around the holidays, but probably not.
1: Yeah, probably not is is the right (laughs) one. But I I am extremely thankful for you and your friendship. And I'm extremely thankful, eternally thankful for anyone who listens to us, watches a video on Twitter, likes a tweet, comes up to us when we're in Indiana to shake our hand or tell us that they enjoy listening to the podcast or find the tweets funny I I am thankful for the Indiana University greater community that we are a part of. It is you know beyond my family, it is as meaningful of a thing that exists in my life and I derive great pleasure and pride from it. It fills me up with optimism and 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 happiness and I am I am truly grateful for it and thankful.
0: Every single person especially who's still listening at this point in the program extra gratitude to you because you know it's it's hardcore once the guests are over if you're still here listening but no i'm i'm just still kind of blown away every time somebody whether they be somebody i've known for 20 years or somebody i just met who say they listen to this and i know it's often because of those guests we have and i'm very grateful people are willing to come on here and share their stories and insights with us um but you know a lot of times it's it's a couple, three hours out of your week. And to, to share that you do listen, it does mean a lot. And every time we sit down to do it, I'm so grateful to know that you're going to be out there listening. And hopefully we do a, a good enough job to bring you
1: back next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. For the hysterics, no E, no I. But, but the sometimes, sometimes why? why? Gobble, gobble.
0: From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of warning, and epic. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier hysterics. Hoosier hysterics. Hoosier
2: hysterics!